0: welcome to the launch the podcast sponsored by Tanum launch where we talk about tech startups entrepreneurship and everything in between we give you the inside scoop on building a startup capital fundraising the entrepreneurial journey with both funny and impactful stories this podcast is for budding entrepreneurs ecosystem players industry folks venture capitalists looking for deals students considering a career in the startup world or anyone with a curiosity in DPEC. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup then check out our website www.tenamlaunch.com or hit us up on LinkedIn. Let's build the future together and now on with the show. Okay, welcome everyone to another episode of the Launch Podcast sponsored by Tenem Launch. I'm your host, Bobby Badochka. And today joining me is Dr. Ronald L. Miles from Binghamton University. He is the inventor of the foundational technology behind our portfolio company, SoundScript. So, welcome, Ron, to the show. Thank you. So why don't we just start right away with you telling us a bit about yourself, uh, your research background, and kind of how you came around uh, to your research program as it stands.
1: Okay, well, I have always been interested in acoustics for some reason, ever since I was actually really young. And so I, you know, went off to college, actually majored in engineering, um, and at that time started taking classes in acoustics. Um, And then after graduating, I went on to work in acoustics actually at Boeing, uh, which is a very big company. And they had like a couple of hundred people, uh, engineers working in acoustics because sound is a really big deal for airplanes. Um, And then, uh, it's a long story. I ended up then going to a faculty position at Binghamton University in New York and, there, I th- actually through my wife uh, Carol, um, who at the time was a postdoc at Cornell, about an hour's drive from Binghamton. Um, I she was working for someone, Ron Hoy, uh, who worked actually in acoustics, but how animals sense sound. And particularly small animals, he was really interested in insects and a lot of insects can hear. And I thought that was cool. And so actually, uh, we started working together and started studying how different animals can hear. Uh, And I thought that was really interesting. So it got me into kind of the biological aspects of acoustics and how sound is sensed by different kinds of animals, what different kinds of mechanisms are used. Um, And I I learned that most animals um, actually hear very differently than humans do. Most animals hear using hairs uh, and they hear the motion of the air in a sound field And humans sense pressure using a membrane or an eardrum. And I thought that was kind of interesting. And it's also to me interesting that hearing and sound sensing uh, and microphones is very biomimetic because the people who first came up with microphones uh, like Alexander Graham Bell and Thomas Edison they were thinking about how humans hear. They know that they knew that humans had eardrums and inside the eardrum, behind the eardrum was a bunch of stuff that turned that signal, the motion of the eardrum into an electronic signal. And so microphones basically are fashioned after that idea, um, which works pretty well. And that's how all microphones really have been made. Um, but I've been struck by the fact that actually most animals Uh, Don't hear that way. Uh, Humans being a little arrogant uh, tend to think that their way is the best. And but the fact that so many animals don't hear that way, other animals hear the motion of the air, not the pressure. Maybe we should pay attention to that. You know, there might be something to learn uh, from that. You know, it's not obvious that it's better or worse, but it's certainly worth looking at and so uh i got into sort of how could we sense sound that way um and i thought well insects and small animals use hairs maybe if we made a small fiber um and you played sound at it uh it would move with the air Mm. and the mechanism is it's all about really about viscosity, the viscosity of the air, because at very small size scales, air kind of acts like syrup. It's very viscous and that causes hairs to move. So maybe we could make a microphone that way or a sound sensor.
0: Um,
1: And so that then I I, I had a very creative graduate student, uh, Jen Zhou. Um, who's now at Argonne National Labs, but he, I told him about this and he started to uh, think about how you could do this. We were looking at maybe artificial fibers we could use or thin wires um, that we needed something really thin, but really strong. And he was walking in our campus nature preserve, kind of like my background. And he noticed Uh, a spider web and it was blowing in the wind. And he thought, "Gee, spider silk uh, is very light, very strong, and it seems to be driven by the wind. So he borrowed a spider from our campus nature preserve, uh, don't tell anyone, and he brought it to the lab and he came up with a system where he could get the spider to create silk. it was really ingenious, but he collected spider silk. So he managed to acquire uh, a pretty good collection of different spider silks. And we, we placed some of the silk in our uh, testing facility, which is an anechoic chamber. It's, it's a fancy space for creating sound fields. And we measured the motion of the silk due to sound. And I also had worked out some equations for it and math about how how it would work based on the viscosity of air and everything turned out that the spider silk was fantastic at detecting the sound field, it had a really flat frequency response, which is a property you'd like microphones to have, Mm -hmm. and it worked really well up to like 100 kilohertz, which is way beyond human hearing and uh, down to very low frequencies below human hearing, so it looked like a really nice way to sense sound. And we worked out how it worked, and you know equations and everything, and made a bunch of measurements and published it. And I guess tandem launch got a hold of us. They they read about the work, so they I guess spend a lot of time sort of sniffing around the literature looking for interesting results, mm-hmm. and they found that paper and they contacted us. Uh, so I guess that's a sort of short version of how we ended up where we are, how we could maybe make a microphone that is, that is driven by really the viscosity of the air uh, and senses the motion of the air, not necessarily the sound pressure like membranes do. And so it's, it's kind of a, an exploration, at least from my point of view, uh, of, you know, can we make this work? It's, it's a concept that is used throughout nature. And the fact that it's been so successful in nature means that we really ought to pay attention to it. Uh, it's, it's not obvious that we could make something that works really well that way, but uh, there's got to be something to it. Um, and if we if we're careful uh, and and use the right ideas, we could make a microphone that's potentially much better than the existing approach, which is very different, sensing pressure. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: so I think it's it's interesting to me.
0: So uh, you mentioned small animals and insects. Uh, is there is it random? uh as far as the differences between say the the human type of hearing and is it is it the size so are some of the bigger animals um closer to the way that we hear as opposed to the smaller animals or how how is that is it It tends to be
1: yeah it tends to be you know the big animals like mammals uh generally hear the way we do that's a characteristic of mammals that we have an eardrum and an, an inner ear and uh but You know, when I say that most animals don't hear that way, I say that, well, I don't have proof, but the truth is there are a lot of insects in this world, Um, and uh, they tend to be small. So small animals uh, tend to hear using hairs. And maybe that suggests that if you want to make a small microphone, maybe you should do it that way, Mm
0: -hmm. that
1: uh, maybe there's something to it.
0: That, yeah, but there's like uh, not space in the head or the yeah uh, in the yeah. area to put all the other bits. So like, how do I do this? And nature is quite quite genius in that way. Yeah. Um, how so? When you're when you're talking about the the differences between those technologies and what might might come about a, a better sound or how how do you measure that? It's what what are the terms in which you would you would know this makes better sound than that?
1: Well, a key. Keep- parameter that's measured is, is the frequency response. You know, you want it to have basically the same response to sound at all frequencies so that it faithfully reproduces the sound. If you go record music, you want it to record all the instruments the way they really are. You don't want the microphone to forget about the high frequencies. You want it to have uniform, uh, sound response uh, the other important parameter that actually is a challenging one for current technologies is you don't want the microphone itself to produce a lot of noise and maybe it's not so obvious but but when when microphones are small it gets very challenging for them to not have a lot of noise And manufacturers uh, who incorporate microphones and cell phones and hearing aids and other things uh, insist that your microphone not make a lot of noise. And it turns out that uh, the smaller the microphone is, the more difficult it is to have it be quiet, the really low noise microphones tend to be the great big ones you see people in recording studios use
0: it seems counterintuitive like the bigger the microphone the more opportunity for noise
1: yeah it is kind of hard to explain um but yeah i mean i can try to explain it if you want but uh you know it's it's because they're sensing pressure and the noise actually a, a fundamental source of the noise often, kind of the the hardest part of the noise, is actually the random fluctuations of the air molecules pounding on the diaphragm. Those random interactions uh, of the molecules with the diaphragm basically create noise. And that's in addition to the electronic noise of the microphone, just because we're measuring sound in a gas and the gas is full of molecules zooming around really fast, there's inherent noise in air. And the bigger the microphone is, the better job it has of kind of averaging out all those different molecules being random. And it senses mostly the kind of average mean motion or pressure, which is the sound. And the smaller the microphone is, the more sensitive it is to those random fluctuations. And and it's it's turning out to be a real problem because everybody wants their microphone to be smaller. Uh, The smaller it is, the cheaper it is because that means you can pack more of them onto a silicon wafer when you're fabricating them using silicon microfabrication. So size is super important. Smaller is way better from that point of view. And That's a problem. Everybody wants it smaller, but you can't meet the performance requirements when you make them that small. So what do you do? That's a challenge.
0: So it seems like you're really uh, trailblazing into a new frontier here of bio-inspired technologies. Are you noticing some trends in that area as well, sort of, uh, you know, amongst your colleagues and in your maybe other spaces?
1: Well, I mean, I, I think I, I see that, you know, a lot of people when they start wanting to do something bio-inspired because it's so trendy, um, they think of kind of copying nature. You know, you, you want to just see something in nature and you want to, you want to design something that looks a lot like it, that works the same way. But it's actually a, a little harder than that because what you need to do is, is, is try to get a grip on the physical principles that are being used. And it might turn out that it's really best to ignore kind of the way nature has done it and, and do it in a way that is more compatible with what humans have done. <laughs> manufacturing and the materials that we're used to working with you know we don't have to make this this thing be alive that's hard too uh fortunately it's it, we can make it out of silicon or something like that and if it's going to be made out of silicon it's a different design than if it's a biological material so i think that this is something that people are kind of realizing but the way you approach biomimetic designs is kind of different and interesting but the nature and biology has good designs you know the the designs out there are amazing and why they work so well i don't know but uh, they're worth paying a lot of attention to and we can learn an awful lot about a lot of different problems uh, that engineers encounter by learning more about how biological systems work, but that doesn't mean we want to make them work the same way.
0: Yeah, so, I think the key it, term here is inspired. Uh, inspired, not mimicking. It, yeah, exactly. Not a. Direct airplanes.
1: I mean, another example is it is that you know airplanes don't flap their wings. Right. <laughs> it just doesn't work well. I mean, it, it's great for birds, but that's not the good. That's not a good way for us to do it.
0: That's a great example. Um, so then let's uh, shift a little bit uh, towards, so sort of from the, from the starting point of when Tanum Launch got in touch with you all the way up to where we are today, maybe talk a bit about the collaboration um, with Sanskrit and how, what was your experience um, with the commercialization process? So if you if there's other academics or other um, researchers listening and they're considering how how one would go about this and what you know life might be like. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe share your experience—the uh, uh, good, the bad, and the ugly.
1: Okay. Well, I've I've been fearful of the whole technology transfer process. I'm still a little fearful, but the truth is, I've always worried that. You know, I was working on microphones. They were interesting, new technology. Maybe some company would want to take it on. I was worried that it would get taken on by somebody that I would have to teach acoustics to from the start because that's not something everybody knows a lot about. And I was worried that... I'd be holding their hands and they would just wear me out um, because, the, you know, they could suck you dry, you know, making you teach them everything from the very beginning. And, and I, I was apprehensive about that. My experience has been the opposite. Uh, you know, the guys that I've been able to work with at, at, at Sanskrit, um, you know, I sprinkle a little bit of information at them and they run with it. Um, they've been great. Uh, from my perspective, uh, you know they they ask a lot of questions and, and things, but they have taken some of these ideas and they've innovative. They, they've innovated based on them. They've been creative and discovered things and uh, really taken it and run with it, um, which to me is super gratifying. <laughs> to 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 think that maybe you know i helped help them get started but they've actually gone on and and done really innovative creative things beyond what i did so it's been really good uh, and they don't call me every 15 minutes asking questions i mean they they would like to ask a lot of questions i think but it's been a really excellent relationship and they've they're really good at what they do. So, you know, I, like I said, I was really apprehensive because none of them really had experience in acoustics. And, you know, I've been dealing with acoustics for for a long, long time and they picked it up. You know, they picked up the microphone business. I, I feel really well. They learned about how to take this stuff and turn it into something uh, practical and that could meet all the requirements in the marketplace which is just overwhelming and i think they're really good at it uh that's a part of this business that me you know i would no way uh be able to do that so it's been great basically and i'm not just doing this because you're connected with tandem launch but i I really do I, i really appreciate working with these guys
0: And uh, is there any advice or, say, um, things to avoid or, you know, warnings to to your colleagues about the process?
1: I guess one warning, and and this can vary a lot with who you end up working with, but Mm -hmm. it's really tricky to protect your ideas correctly. You know, everybody really wants to get credit for what they do and it's to me it's important that if i invent something i get credit for it you know i'm i'm not I, I don't have a business and and i'm not you know really driven to make money so much at this although i want compensation but the main thing that i care about is to get credit and it's Sometimes in the tech transfer business, your ideas can get stolen. And it's happened to me a number of times, and not by Sanskrit or tandem launch, but I have had my ideas published by others, patented by others, uh, you know, had my name scratched off and, and, you know, sold as if they were created by others. And that's bothersome. You know, it's happened, and it does happen to others. So I think that's something to watch out for. It's not like we need to be obsessed and super protective, but you need to watch out for it.
0: Yeah, um, I mean, unfortunately, not everyone takes academic integrity as as uh, seriously as we do, um, which yeah. is definitely unfortunate. Uh, but you know the the soundscript, yeah, that this team is so dynamic, and they've got such interest from, you know, big players. So, you know, lots to come um, out of, yes.
1: So, I mean, another fear I have, well, I've worked with them while they're just starting, right, they're just, they were tiny when when we started and they're slowly getting bigger and bigger. One of my fears is, what if they get to be one of the biggest players, you know, taken over by people who actually don't care about technology, just care about making money. Mm-hmm. Making money is good, but you know, I'm not interested in in that primarily. Um, I'm interested in ideas, and and so when you when you when you look at it just from the point of view of how do you increase the rate of growth of profits, you'll do anything, and that doesn't necessarily improve people's lives, but it makes you. Wealthy gives you some sort of I don't know maybe satisfaction that you're increasing your rate of growth, but that's not what I'm interested in, and that's a that's a thing that can really mess people up. You
0: know. Well, that's actually a great segue to my next question about: Are you noticing um, these days about maybe your lab members or you know other <laughs> other um, some of the younger lab members these days focusing more on say applied research? um or translational projects knowing that you know with the with the idea that whatever it is that I'm doing here is research it's my intention to commercialize something rather than just do you know fundamental research i
1: have seen that i mean i haven't seen that a lot in my immediate group but there are people who and and some faculty starting out who i think become torn between wanting to start their own business and wanting to do uh, academic research. And I think it can wreck your career if as a faculty member your primary objective is to try to become what Sanskrit is becoming. I, I see this as two separate tasks, you know, two separate areas you know you can be someone who wants to start a company or you can be someone who is really after learning about how to make things the the knowledge the creation of knowledge if you're if you're really in an academic job your primary job is to create knowledge Mm -hmm. and i think it gets mixed up in some people where they think starting a company is your primary goal. And you should go start a company and not try to become a faculty member. Um I at least in my opinion. Uh, those yeah. two things are kind of incompatible. Yeah. Um, if that's your join channel.
0: Yeah. Or come to channel watch. Exactly. It's like that happy and, medium between the two to the plug Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, but you know, I'm I'm not a good business person. Uh, I would I, if I tried to start a company like like Soundsgrid, I it would collapse in a day.
0: I mean, uh, most most researchers aren't because you're good at research. You know, everyone's got their yeah. role to play. Yeah, yeah,
1: if, yeah. I think it's good to stick to your area. You know, yeah,
0: stay in your lane, as they say. Yeah, stay in your lane, <laughs> exactly. Do what you're good at. Um, So uh, let's uh, talk about what you're working on right now. Whatever you can say publicly. Yeah.
1: So, well, I can't say exactly, but um, generally, uh, the thing that I'm really interested in now is um, so I said that the idea of sensing the flow or the motion of the air rather than pressure, again, it's done by most animals, there's probably something to it. And we've shown experimentally that a sensor like that can have flat frequency response. We published a paper about that, and it's amazing how flat the response is. And I've wondered, maybe there are other traits, other characteristics of this approach that can create a microphone that meets other criteria other than just flat frequency response. And I mentioned that the key, uh, another key parameter is how much noise it has. And it hasn't been obvious that a flow sensing microphone would be quieter or lower noise than a pressure sensing microphone, but I think it can. Uh, So my current research is to address the noise performance of a microphone that is based on sensing flow rather than sensing pressure. And um, I guess without describing it in detail, my current belief is the answer is yes, that with sensing flow, if you design it right, you can create a microphone that has substantially uh, better noise performance and yet is also extremely small. That is, I think that it's possible to make a microphone much smaller and have low noise than if you design it to sense pressure. So I believe, so what we're working on now really is to address this question Or this problem that silicon microphones have, miniature microphones have, that they want to make them small, but they tend to have high noise when they're too small. And I think that by sensing flow, you can make them even smaller and they'll be even lower noise. That's a belief that I haven't totally proven yet, but we're very close. So that's what I'm working on now.
0: Sounds amazing. Um, and so, are you? Are you looking for, if any grad students uh, are are looking for a supervisor, or just want to jam about acoustics? Maybe they can uh, hit you up on your uh, on your mm-hmm. web page, Binghamton. Yeah.
1: yeah. Yeah. So, so you know, we're we're working, um, of course, with Sanskrit a bit, but we're you know the work is is actually funded um, by the National Institutes of Health here in the US. And uh, there are there is an interest by by those folks in acoustic sensing technology for the hearing impaired. So there's quite a bit of research that goes on about understanding ears, and understanding, you know, how do you measure the the way an ear works. And so our funding is actually directed toward, you know, human health, and helping people to understand human hearing so it's a long story
0: but amazing no that's that's fantastic so um well thank you ron uh for joining us here on the podcast today and sharing your research and valuable insights to the community and thank you to our loyal listeners your time is always appreciated you can follow us on social media we're on linkedin facebook twitter and instagram and don't forget if you have a technical background and you want to create your own startup, hit me up on LinkedIn and I can tell you about the incredible opportunities for you at Tandem Launch. Ciao for now. Thank you for listening. We hope you had fun and gained valuable insights. Why don't you subscribe to the Launch Podcast today? You can share the podcast, tell a friend, and follow us on social media. If you have a research background in tech and always wanted to build your own startup, then check out our website, www.tandemlaunch.com, and get in touch today.